the S&P in, in particular, was trading at about 24 times forward earnings back in February. Fast forward to today, the S&P is at about 28 times forward earnings. So the valuation's actually gone up. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. As markets reckon with a second wave of COVID-19 cases, Mark Ray sits down with Chris McCanny and a new guest, Matt Montemuro, to discuss how advisors should be positioning their client portfolios for the days and weeks ahead. From short and mid-Canadian credit to gold, equities, and alternatives, this episode contains a broad spectrum of trade ideas that can be leveraged across all client types. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Enjoy the episode. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for BMO Games Canada, covering funds and ETFs. Today, we are joined by Chris McCainy, who is a portfolio manager focusing on equities and derivative strategies, and of course, uh, integrated across the desk. And as well, a new guest, Matt Montemuro, who leads our fixed income ETF trading and as well as integrated across other areas of the desk. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Let's dive right into things. Getting a lot of questions around the level of market. Obviously, people concerned about COVID-19 and the economic restart and the, the rise in cases once again. So if we can, let's start with a review of ZFP, our S&P 500 ETF, which, of course, that exposure is a staple in many investors' portfolios. It's near the pre-COVID highs which obviously doesn't necessarily align with the resurgence of the cases of COVID as the economy is trying to move forward. This also doesn't really match through to Canadian markets where energy and the banks have not fully recovered. Looking backwards, you know the story around the S&P 500. In the last few years, a lot of the returns have been driven by the bank stocks. Is that still the case this year, or is there a more balanced recovery at play? And lastly, how does this look compared to the contribution of stocks in ZUQ, the U.S. quality factor that we've been talking about a fair bit on these calls? Give that one to Chris. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. And yeah, it certainly is interesting to think that you know the S and P 500 is almost where it was at under turn to 2020. If you rewound back to Christmas last year and told investors all the different headwinds that the global economy would be facing in 2020, most likely you would have seen a revision down in earnings, potentially also a revision down in the valuation of those earnings, and of course expecting markets to be revalued downwards given what we know are, are now facing. But what we've seen as a result is that's actually not the case. You know, the markets, the S&P in, in particular, was trading at about 24 times forward earnings back in February. And markets were, were quite high then, and, and investors were thinking it might be a little bit overvalued. Then, of course, we go through the March pullback and, and subsequent rebound. Fast forward to today, the S&P is at about 28 times forward earnings. So the valuation's actually gone up. 
relative to what you know these depressed earnings are, are going to be going forward. You know, having said that, what has driven the S and P in the past is also driving it, it today. You know, even though we do have a slowdown in the global economy and a slowdown in customer demand and things like that, there are pockets uh, of the economy that are actually doing quite well and, and have accelerated their growth uh, because of the, the global slowdown. And these are generally technology stocks or the technology-related stocks. Things like Apple actually just reached an all-time high yesterday. Because, uh, you know, again, a lot of the things we are now relying on due to the global shutdown are, are the services and products that these companies offer. So that has been what's been driving this rebound in the S&P 500. It has been still fairly concentrated in these few sectors, in this one and maybe couple sectors. One other way to look at that is if you take a look at the equal weight S&P 500 so index where every single stock in the S&P 500 has equal representation, that index is down about 10% in U.S. dollars year to date. So, you know, still has seen a decent recovery from the sell-off in March, uh, a decent rebound, but still not quite where we were, again, when we turned to 2020. So that is lagging the overall S&P 500 and is a, a good indication that, you know, the growth we have seen has been a little bit more concentrated. How that compares to ZUQ, again, that U.S. quality ETF that, that we've been talking about quite a bit, ZUQ, the performance coming, the company's driving the performance in that fund and in that index, um, it actually is a little bit even more concentrated than in the S&P, but that's because the index itself uh, is a bit more concentrated. It's a, uh, Given the name quality, it's a bit more choosy in terms of which companies were invested in in that ETF. You mentioned the banks and energy in Canada lagging and not really bouncing off the lows like we've seen some of the other sectors. Uh, those are really the two sectors that the U.S. quality ETF com almost completely avoids. We have almost zero weight in, in financials, just over 1% in financials broadly, and no weight in energy. And so those are the two sectors that have performed the worst in the U.S., um, and those are the two sectors that, that the U.S. quality ETF avoids. Conversely, uh, it's highly concentrated in that technology sector right now. And so that's uh, where, where the performance has been driven from in the U.S. quality factor uh, ETF. The benefit of that quality screening is that, you know, right now that's where the quality is found is in that technology sector. And for some of these reasons we've been talking about, but as that starts to change over time, if that starts to change over time, that ETF will obviously, during rebalances, will adjust and rebalance into other factors that where, where the quality is, is being seen coming from. And so although it's, it's fairly concentrated right now at this time, again, the fact that it's able to move different sectors to where those quality metrics are being found gives it the possibility that that can continue growing going forward depending on how the global economy and, and global rebound shakes out. All right. Thanks for that, Chris. That's uh, some really good insights. It's, you know, it's an interesting conversation that we're having a lot right now is why the market levels are where they are when, when you consider everything else going on around. But I think your points about the technology and the, and the companies that are still driving forward now certainly resonate. Now, let's switch gears to fixed income, where after we, we got singed in March, Markets have stabilized somewhat, and credit spreads have started to tighten back in. 
We've seen Tiff Macklem and the BOC come out with guidance against negative rates this week and even signaling eventual increases in rates. What does that mean for investors who have crowded into the short trade? How does that opportunity look now and looking forward as as we adapt to potentially uh, a recovery regime? And I'll give that to Matt. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. So although we have seen credit spreads tighten significantly since uh, the wides of March, we still sit approximately 60 basis points wider than the start of 2020. Uh, And much of this opportunity uh, for spread compression appears in the short and mid of the curve. Macklin's comments seem to indicate that our interest rate policy will remain stable at around 25 basis points until uh, a definite economic recovery begins, which, in my view, uh, will still be some time. I do see significant opportunity in corporate bonds right now, just from that spread, further spread compression perspective. Uh, and they do seem to appear much more attractive from a risk-adjusted basis, especially when you consider the likelihood of another equity market decline due to the second-wave fears that we're starting to uh, see materialize in, in the market. Uh, I see a strong opportunity in credit when uh, looking at the following factors. Uh, central bank bond buying programs will continue to ramp up throughout the summer. Um, you get regular income generation from uh, fixed income and credit. Uh, capital structure positioning is stronger on the uh, fixed income side. And then you're going to see, you should see further spread compression uh, given that we're still at uh, pretty significant wides given. Uh, historical uh, uh, comparisons. Uh, and then looking at all of those factors and looking at relative to equities, which uh, could face potential uh, dividend cuts, uh, as well as cancellation of share buybacks, I think there's a big opportunity right now uh, to take advantage of uh, wider spreads in credit and, and kind of ride that spread compression in. So to take advantage of this, uh, I would look at uh, several ETFs that uh, we offer. So it's the BMO Short Corporate and BMO Mid Corporate ETFs, so ZCF and ZCM. I view those as strong opportunities to capitalize on that spread compression. Uh, We're also taking advantage of this low-rate environment with a little bit of term risk. So more specifically, that would be ZCM targeting that 5- to 10-year, the belly of the curve. Um, and, and thus far, we've seen uh, the short and mid kind of had the least amount of spread compression. We saw the most compression uh, in the long end, um, and we've seen returns reflect that. That's why I do think that there's an opportunity here uh, to take advantage of the short and mid part of the curve uh, as we move into the summer and then potentially into the fall. I feel that the uh, bank programs, both in Canada and the U.S., should keep credit spreads range-bound. Um, by implementing somewhat of a safety net uh, for credit. And, and I think looking at uh, spreads in the triple B space, you kind of see a lower bound for those names that are not at risk to be downgraded, uh, especially in the one to five year space where the Bank of Canada program is focusing. So, you know, these kind of external factors do provide um, some downside protection and allow you to take advantage of wider spreads with kind of this um, downside protection that the bank is offering. So thus far, we've seen most of the tightening happen in the long end and the correction happen in the long end. And that's why I see the current opportunity in the market is to focus on credit 
through ZCS and ZCN uh, in basically the one to ten year space in the Canadian uh, Canadian uh, investment grade uh, corporate universe. Great, thanks for that, Matt. Clearly, tightening of credit spreads will will play to the the corporate bond side of things. But for investors that have been surprised by the V-shaped uh, market recovery, and they want a little more protection. A lot of these players have been moving to cash, and it's fairly defensive, but leaves the portfolio idle. Is there a trade that you would think about if you were to consider Canadian federal bonds or U.S. treasuries? And again, although you've spoken on the curve a bit, how would you play that along the maturity curve? Absolutely. And I think that that's a conversation we're, we're having regularly you know, with clients and we're seeing across the market is you know, that trade-off between credit and then being more defensive, and, and that trade-off between credit and basically cash. Uh, many investors continue to be concerned about equity and credit markets moving into the summer and, and fall again as, as second-wave fears uh, become to uh, become start to become more real. One way to remain defensive while not just sitting idle in cash uh, would be to look to government bonds, as you as you mentioned, Mark, uh, for protection both in Canada and the U.S. Lower rates seem to be priced in for a prolonged period, both in Canada and the U.S. And I look at Canadian and U.S. Treasuries as, as a way to uh, protect yourself while also earning more than just a, a cash portfolio. Uh, we've seen Treasuries thus far, year to date, uh, uh, perform extremely well. You know, due to that flight to quality trade. I do see more value right now, looking in more of the belly of the curve in kind of a moderate duration, just given uh, the performance we've seen year-to-date in long U.S. Treasuries and long Canadian federal bonds, you know, you're seeing high, you know, teens, low 20% uh, returns. You know, that trade does seem to be a little bit overcrowded at this point in the long end. I don't think we've seen that strong performance in the mid, and I do think that there is some opportunity and value there by getting that protection through your uh, government exposure, but kind of targeting a, a part of the curve that still provides interest rate exposure during this low rate environment, but also does not go uh, and does not buy at the highs uh, that we're seeing in the long end. So to take advantage of that for the defensive investor in Canada, I would look uh, at ZFM, so our mid-federal bonds, and ZGB, our uh, government bond, which is the whole government bond universe, provincials and federals, to try to take advantage of a little bit of that duration risk, some of the protection from the government uh, exposure, but also getting a little bit more yield than you would just sitting idle in cash. For the U.S. exposure, I would look at ZTM, so our mid U.S. mid-treasury bond ETF, or ZTM.U for those who are looking to have U.S. dollar exposure. Much like the previous corporate example, again, I see more value in the middle, uh, the mid of the curve, the five to 10 year space, uh, as the long end does seem to be a little bit overcrowded. So that's why I think those four investment options provide some defensive protection from uh, a potential second wave and, and some downside while giving you uh, a little bit of upside of taking advantage of this low rate environment. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. Some really good ideas for people to take back and, and consider using in their own portfolios. Let's uh, let's move over now to gold, which is clearly back in the news this week as, as people get a little, little worried about markets. Now, when we look at this trade, 
there's obviously been a continued advance of gold and, and associated gold miners. Is it getting late in, to get into this trade, or is there still an opportunity here, considering some of the analyst predictions out there for for gold and, and the miners? Chris, could you give us your comments? Thanks. Sure, and we, we did see a lot of interest in the gold trade you know, back in April as markets rebounded a little bit. Gold prices went up substantially. But since then, they've really traded sideways for the last couple months or so um, until, as you say, this week um, with a little bit more concerns around whether it's the second wave of, of COVID or other. Um, we have seen gold start to advance in price again recently. Um, in terms of, you know, whether this is too late, you know, certainly it seems that way after you've seen a strong rise um, in the underlying price. It was, I think, just about $1,500 at the start of the year. Gold now trading well over $1,700 an ounce. But, you know, we've talked about this um, on, on some of our previous calls here, and really we do view this as a multi-year sort of theme here, you know. We talked about the similarities to 2008, 2009, and just the absolute huge amount of, of stimulus from, from central banks, monetary authorities, um, you know, QE, printing money, helicopter money, all these different terms for, for what we're seeing right now. How that played out over a two to three year period in the previous decade, you know, the gold price essentially doubled through this monetary expansion. And a lot of analysts are expecting it to do the same over the next two to three years with price targets generally in between two and $3,000 an ounce uh, for gold. And so, you know, we do see this playing out over a couple of years. So we, we think there is still uh, obviously some opportunity to get in there specifically on, on the gold price itself. And then, of course, the other way to play it is through those gold miners. The equities that are actually digging it out of the ground um, provide a little bit more torque, so to speak, relative to the gold price itself. And so for those that want to take on a little bit more risk with a potentially higher payoff, you might want to look at those gold miners uh, as a way to play this story again over the next couple of years or so. We've also talked about the difference between the senior gold miners that you might find in, in our ETF ZGD, the Global Gold uh, ETF, versus ZJG, which is the junior gold miners. Obviously, again, a little bit more risk in those junior miners. They carry a lot more debt. And so as long as they're able to maintain those debt servicing levels, uh, you would expect the junior gold miners to perform very well. Uh, you know, the risk, of course, is that credit markets may get into trouble again uh, going forward. If they do, you know, you might see some of these junior gold miners suffer in terms of being able to continue financing their operations. And the possibility of some senior gold producers either goes up or just benefiting um, as a result of being in a little bit more uh, a better position balance sheet wise. And so, you know, those are kind of the three different ways, three different layers you can play gold, each with their their own trade offs and risk and reward. But we do see this again playing out over the next few years, and so we think generally in this space um, there's a few different ways to play it, but. We think it's a good place to be still. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, when we're hearing analysts still calling for 2,500, uh, certainly 1,700 or 1,800, uh, there's still a lot of room left in this trade. So a good defensive play relative to your equity exposures. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we encourage you to tune in to our deep dive series, 
where we take you under the hood of the BMO GAM product suite. Most recently, we take a deep dive into the BMO Canadian MBS Index ETF, ticker ZMBS, a traditionally institutional offering for defensive income in the current environment. For more information, please see the episode notes below. Now back to Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Chris McKinney. Uh, so I'm just going to ask one more before we go to the lines. And for those looking at an alternative exposure, can you give us an update on ZPay, uh, BMO Premium Yield? It seems like this ETF makes a lot of sense in a volatile market. How's the portfolio been shifting considering the rapid market recovery? And knowing that these markets have been you know, a really good test for the strategy out of the gates, how is it done through the correction and on the way back up? Thanks, Chris. Yeah, and as you say, you know, this was a strategy that was just launched past January um, and was designed really to take advantage of volatility in the market. Um, little did we know it would be tested so early um, in its life, but, you know, it's actually been a very good case study in terms of seeing how this strategy performs and giving investors an idea of the risk-reward trade-off inherent in this fund. Um, just to give a bit of a recap, again, we have discussed this one also um, a couple of times on, on previous calls in terms of what we like uh, in this market. But just a bit of a recap as to how it's performed, um, you know, entering the, the market sell-off, this strategy was uh, invested about 35-40% in equities, the rest of that being e-bills and selling put options uh, in order to generate that premium, in order to generate that income on a, on a consistent basis. As markets sell off, this strategy actually adds more to the equity position as those put options move into the money and we get a sign, we have to buy those stocks. And so after entering the, the sell-off with a 35 to 40% equity weight, you know, through that sell-off and then as the rebound started, uh, the fund actually had over 70% allocated to equities and so really enjoyed uh, the growth coming out of that rebound. On a ratio basis, there was about, you know, this fund had captured about 50% of the drawdown in the broad market, but 75% of the recovery of the rebound. And so, again, being able to, to, to shift between the equity weight and the T-bill weight is, is what allows for that sort of differentiation to take place between what it's on the downside and on the upside. Now, so as, as markets have rallied through, uh, through April and May and a little bit more here through June, uh, the equity weight has come back down in this fund. So the equity weight right now is at about 40%, um, again, similar to where it was at the end of February. So, you know, as the, the upside risk and downside risk start shifting in the market again, and we start to think there might be a little bit more downside risk than upside uh, potential, this fund has uh, de-risked relative to where it was in March and April and is now well positioned again should there be another another downswing to to be able to protect a little bit more on the downside again. In the meantime, if it's trade sideways or, or even continue to go up, you know, we'll still be generating that premium through selling the, the put options on the part of the portfolio that's not equitized. So it's a consistent return stream um, regardless of equity. But again, you know, should there be continued volatility or an increase uh, once again in volatility, the portfolio is designed to take advantage of that. Right. Thanks for that update, Chris. It's certainly been uh, an interesting market to come out of the gates with this type of strategy and, and good to hear it acting as we expect that it would. So at this point, I'd like to go to the lines and ask if there's any questions for Chris or Matt. 
Hey guys, it's John. Uh, thanks for taking my question this morning. Uh, yesterday, there was the release of many of the June readings for manufacturing and service PMIs, with most countries showing strong positive movement. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on uh, ZIN, the industrial ETF, and DISC, the discretionary uh, ETF. Thank you very much. Sure, I can take that one. And um, yeah, certainly there's there's been a rebound globally in those PMI readings. You know, a lot of it is still, I would say, you know, slightly to the negative, you know, not not as negative as it has been, uh, certainly, but still slightly to the negative. Just as a reminder, for, for PMI, this is one of those readings where a score of 50 or above means it's accelerating and a score of uh, below 50 means it's, it's contracting. And so what we did see through Europe, as you mentioned, most of these PMIs have been announced. France, for the most part, in their, in their PMIs. Germany just under at maybe 40, 44, 45, and the Eurozone overall in, in the high 40s as well. So these are you know, certainly not very strong readings, but relative to where they were in previous months, we've seen a very strong bounce back. UK as well at 47. So we, in Europe in particular, it looks like that rebound is starting to, to take place um, from, the, from the PMI perspective. Similarly, in the U.S., PMI just came out yesterday, again, 46 to 49, depending on which one you're looking at. Um, so these are still slightly negative. They are contracting to some degree, but again, much better than, than previous readings. But you're right when you're looking at the different uh, ETFs that want to maybe be considering to play a global rebound uh, in terms of economic expansion. So the ZIN is our equal weight industrial ETF. And that's focused on Canada. So those are Canadian companies. And so that's a Canadian-specific um, strategy that you might want to think about. When you're thinking about economic recovery in Canada specifically, ZIN is a strong way to play that. You know, you have things like the railroads in there with economic activity. Um, you know, they're actually somewhat related to the oil price as well as transporting oil and, and, and other things by rail actually actually happens. Um, and so ZIN is a great play on Canada specifically in order to play that rebound in economic activity. Generally, it's an area where investors tend to be a little bit underweight as well. So it's a great way to, to balance your exposure. Our discretionary ETF, DISC, is a global exposure. And so that plays a bit more on global economic recovery and obviously investing in consumer discretionary stocks. So as a rebound happens, as investors um, you know, get jobs back, have disposable income, they will start spending on these discretionary uh, items once again. In terms of geographic exposure, this one's about 60% U.S., which is you know, just slightly overweight what the, what the broad global market would be uh, on a market cap basis. 60% U.S., 15% Japan, and another 15% call it from the, the larger uh, Euro region countries. And so it's a, it's a nice balanced way to play that global economic recovery and a, and a way to play, you know, again, consumers getting back into the market, not just buying staples, the necessary items, but starting to spend again on discretionary. So depending on your outlook for those different regions, um, those are two ETFs that you might want to play. And again, depending on, you know, which region specifically you want to focus on. Thank you very much. Hey guys, it's Arul here. I wanted to ask, uh, how are spreads now in fixed income ETFs and what can we expect on the underlying versus the ETF going forward? Thank you.
we definitely saw some challenges in the underlying fixed income market in March, forcing the Bank of Canada and Fed to institute their bond buying programs. Basically, since the announcement of those programs, we've started to see the thawing of the fixed income markets in March and kind of a normalization of those fixed income markets in terms of liquidity uh, over the last two and a half months. I think the spreads of the underlying bonds have normalized to close to pre-March levels. Uh, So from an ETF perspective, what we're seeing is that the widespread caused by the underlying market and the illiquidity of the underlying market that we saw in March have, have now evaporated. And you're seeing a much more normalized environment. So you are seeing Canadian corporate bond spreads at you know between 25 and 50 basis points, which is historically uh, kind of where we see historical averages over the last five years. Uh, you're seeing federal bonds uh, trading at you know five to 10 basis point spreads, which uh, is historically what where we see. So we've definitely seen that normalization, and you know the liquidity returning to the bond market has just uh, flown through and uh, done the same to the ETFs that have those underlying assets. Um, we also are seeing a return of two-way flow uh, on the ETF. So for investors looking to potentially uh, execute at tighter levels than the underlying ETF, does now provide. Uh, opportunities because uh, the normalization that has occurred. So buyers and sellers are meeting on the exchange and, and are meeting at uh, levels that are tighter than the actual underlying market. So that that kind of is highlighting the benefits of an ETF that you know at a minimum, the ETF will trade at the spread of the underlying market. But we're starting to see with the return of two-way flow in these fixed income ETFs, the ability to execute at tighter levels at times uh, when you're able to uh, execute with these buyers and sellers on the exchange without ever ever having to touch that underlying asset class. Thank you. Okay, not hearing any further questions, I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and listening in. Of course, thank you to both Chris and Matt for your insights, your responses, the trade ideas, giving us some ideas that we can we can take back and, and apply to our own days. I uh, really appreciate that. So with that, I'd like to wish everyone a good day. Be healthy, be well, and thank you once again for joining us. Thank you to Mark Race, Chris McKinney, and Matt Montemuro for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today we heard timely updates on gold, equities, and specific parts of the fixed income universe. In particular, we learned how investors can take advantage of spread compression opportunities at the short and mid-end of the yield curve using ZFM, ZFS, ZCM, and ZCS. If that was too fast for you, remember these tickers and more are available in the episode notes below, or you can contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit BMOETFs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at BMO.com. Thanks again for listening from BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. 
Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.